0: Nehemiah chapter 5 and I've mentioned several times as we've been reading through this book, I don't know if you have been going home and reading Nehemiah for yourself I would really encourage you to do that um, it's not a long book but in so many ways I read Nehemiah and I feel like I'm reading someone's personal journal um, we're seeing the world through Nehemiah's eyes, he speaks in the first person and he often uh, We'll record events. We feel like we're experiencing them in real time. Uh, He's not not writing in retrospect. He's writing things down as they're happening. And even scribbling into the margins his prayers, his frustrations, his anxieties. All scribbled into the margins of this logbook as he records the work that's going on in the city of Jerusalem. If you remember back in chapter 1... The whole book began with Nehemiah receiving this report about how things were going. He was in the capital city of Susa, a thousand miles away from Jerusalem, and he hears these two discouraging reports. Number one, the people are in disgrace and shame, and the city's walls are flattened and its gates burned. But something has changed over the course of these five chapters. Now the people have hope. Now the city's walls, day after day, are rising. What has changed? Well, it's the same people, the same poor, destitute, feeble people. And it's the same city, it's the same Jerusalem, burnt stones and all. The only thing that has changed is the man in charge. What we're beginning to realize in the book of Nehemiah is that the fate of the people of God and the fate of the city of God lies in the hands of the man who governs that city. As goes the man, so goes the people. As goes his fear of the Lord, so goes the city that bears his name. We're watching, we've been watching for several chapters now, and as we watch this construction project, it's kind of like the high schooler who's driving the brand new Mercedes around town. You know, you're like, that, that kid mows my lawn. There's no way he could afford that car. <laughs> uh, somebody else must be footing the bill. And things are going so swimmingly well in Jerusalem, except for it's the same old Jerusalem, the same old people... And everything's going right. The people are working hard. They're being provided for. They're being bought out of slavery. The city's walls continue to climb, even against all odds. And we've got to think to ourselves, these people can't keep winning like this without somebody losing behind the scenes. This kind of success doesn't come without some kind of sacrifice. In Nehemiah chapter 5, the second half, Nehemiah reveals to us who has been footing the bill. How is it that the people are having so much success? Well, somebody has been sacrificing behind the scenes. The man who governs the city. So if you turn to Nehemiah chapter 5, let's stand together as the Holy Spirit reveals what's been going on behind the scenes. Beginning in verse 14. Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 14. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah from the 20th year to to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, I, neither I nor my brothers, ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I, I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work of this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now, what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds, and every 10 days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember for my good, O my God, all that I have done for this people. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we have a man who is seeking good of this people. We thank you for your sacrifice. We pray as we believe in you May it change the way we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. What kind of a man is able to build a new Jerusalem? What kind of a governor is able to give a people this kind of hope? Well, we see this morning, the kind like Nehemiah. In the second half of chapter 5, we see Nehemiah embodying everything that the nobles and the officials in the first half of of the chapter were not. A new city begins to emerge from the rubble because a new governor has come seeking the good of the people. So let's look together for a few moments at how Nehemiah established and entered into his role as the governor of Jerusalem. Well, number 1, he emptied himself. Number 1, Nehemiah emptied himself. Nehemiah quietly records in his journal from the day that I set foot in the office until my last day as governor for 12 whole years. It was never about me. My title, my position, my authority, with all of its rights and privileges, I set them aside. Even though the salary, even though my food allowance was mine by right, I had the king's authority to be there. Even though the king of the whole inhabited earth who trusted me more than anyone else, remember, I was his cupbearer, even though by right it was mine, I emptied myself. Because this project was not about me trying to squeeze every last drop out of this people. It's about me pouring myself out sacrificially down to the last drop for the city that I've come to rebuild. Now, if you were here last week, you know this stands in stark contrast to all the governors who came before Nehemiah. Look at verse 15. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took for them for their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. The guys who ran the old Jerusalem, he says, they burdened, they took, they lorded. Each of the governors, for their own personal he says, for their own personal ration, every day, they took 40 shekels of silver. And uh, stats show us that a shekel was probably worth about one-third of a day. It took three days' wages to make one shekel. So if you do the math three times 40, they were requiring 120 days' wages for themselves for one day. No wonder the people were crying out for help. No wonder they were being forced into slavery. The old Jerusalem is being governed by men who rode the backs of the people. Who took and took and took. Who even we saw in the first half of the chapter were selling their own brothers and sisters into slavery. Nehemiah says even their servants were lording it over the people. But I, I did not do so because of the fear of God. Do you remember back in chapter 2 when Nehemiah first arrives in Jerusalem and he stays there for three days and quietly one evening he takes a few men and a torch and he goes out to survey the city. Do you remember? And in the darkness by the flicker of his torch, His firelight reveals gates absolutely burned to the ground. Walls destroyed, pathways strewn with debris and rubble, rocks thrown down. In silence, Nehemiah witnesses what that kind of leadership does to a city. Men who burden, men who take, men who lord it over the people. It leaves a city in shambles. It tears the people of God down. It destroys Jerusalem. You see, old Jerusalem, new Jerusalem, the difference lies in who governs the city. Nehemiah chapter 5 asks us this morning, who governs the Jerusalem where you live? A man who has emptied himself? A man who comes seeking only the good of the people? A man who's willing to forgo all of his rights, all of his privileges in order to do you good? Or governors who weigh you down with heavy burdens? Who take? Who turn you into a slave? We have a man in the person of Jesus Christ who the Bible tells us has emptied himself for the sake of his people, for the sake of the new Jerusalem. And yet, how many of us convince ourselves we just want to continue to live in the old Jerusalem? A Jerusalem ruled by idols that tell us, stay here, stay with me. Yes, I will continue to load more and more guilt on you. Yes, I will take everything precious from you. But what's the alternative? People might find out who you really are. Do you want people to know that you're an idol-worshiping sinner? Do you want that to happen? Day after day, these harsh governors, they come into our lives. And they take, and they take, and we give. And they hold out fleeting pleasure, and they hold out escape, and they hold out... Comfort and secrecy and all the while, they're robbing us of our marriages, of our contentment, of our friendships, of our innocence, of our very lives. You see, Satan is really good at telling us he's going to give us all the kingdoms of this world. And then behind the scenes, robbing us of the only thing of value, our eternal soul. And we voluntarily put our necks to the yoke of slavery because we are afraid of freedom. We've spent so long serving these old masters, we don't know what it would even be like. We can't conceive of what it would be like to serve a master, a governor, who wants to set us free. But a new governor has come to Jerusalem. He has emptied himself For our sake, will you and I not abandon our former governors, these idols, these things, these sins, these false gods that only burden us down with guilt, that only take from us, that only put us deeper and deeper into slavery? Come to Jesus who says, but I did not do so. I emptied myself. Number one, he emptied himself. Secondly, this morning, Nehemiah took the form of a servant. Number two, he took the form of a servant. Let me read to you verse 16. I also persevered in the work of this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. And you can feel it there as Nehemiah's writing in his journal. He had a singularity of mind when he came to the city. I came here for one job. And one job only. He, the cupbearer of the king, took the form of the servant. He entered into the task appointed to him. All the governors before him got distracted. They were amassing money, amassing land, amassing power, building their puny little kingdoms. Nehemiah says, no, I was not distracted by that. I came with one task. I took the form of a servant." He says, "I rolled up my sleeves. Day after day, I laid brick upon brick next to my brothers and sisters. I didn't come to Jerusalem to sit on a throne. God sent me here to work my hands to the bone to serve side by side with a people who are poor and needy, a people who belong to God, my people. And if you remember from chapter four, we saw how hard Nehemiah worked. As the servant of God's people. He says, I labored from dawn until the stars came out. And when the stars came out, I took out my torch and my staff. And I stood watch over the people all night. Building during the day. Guarding during the night. He writes, neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me. None of us even took off our clothes. Just imagine for a second that you're living in this Jerusalem and you're watching Nehemiah and every day you see this man go tirelessly to work, never complaining, laying bricks, directing the work, devoting himself wholeheartedly simply to the task at hand. And when everyone else is tired, he's the one fetching the water. When everyone else is hungry, he's the one preparing their meals. He's the one mixing the mortar, dusting off the burnt stones, doing all the menial tasks that no one else wants to do. And then when everyone else is laying their weary head down to rest, you look out the entrance of your tent and you see a vision of a man. The man, Nehemiah, by night is standing watch over the camp. Still covered in dust and sweat from the day's labors. And as you lay your head on your pillow, you cannot help but think, Who am I? Who am I to be served by a man like this? Who are we that he should come with such singularity of mind to take the form of a servant to the people of God? Brothers and sisters, we have such a man. Jesus, the son of God, he said, came to earth not to be served, but to serve. Day after day, entering with singularity of mind into the task appointed for him. As he healed the sick, as he fed the hungry, as he welcomed children, as he cared for the poor, as he taught As he raised the dead, he was tirelessly working to build the foundations of a new Jerusalem. Night after night, he watched and prayed over his disciples. Do you remember the account recorded in the Gospel of John of Jesus' last night with his disciples? Jesus rose up from supper. He laid aside his outer garments. And taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Can you imagine the Son of God stooping to wash your feet? Can you even imagine looking down in his face as he takes the form of a servant to serve you. Who am I? Who are we? That the Son of God would take the form of a servant. Number three. He humbled himself. Nehemiah humbled himself. Nehemiah was not above identifying with his poor and humble brothers and sisters. He doesn't stay in the Four Seasons outside Jerusalem, you know, and take a taxi or Uber into town every week. He lived in Jerusalem. He breathed Jerusalem. He was humble enough to call, his, call them brothers. Look at verse 17. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. He says, I shared my table with Jews, officials, and exiles alike. Remember, in the first part of the chapter, the men and women that he was purchasing out of slavery were coming and sitting down next to him at his table. In her book, Making Room, Christine Pohl explains the powerful nature of hospitality. Listen to what she says. Historically, table fellowship was an important way of recognizing the equal value and dignity of persons. And she continues, there's a sense of camaraderie that emerges and spills over as all sit down to eat together. Isn't that exactly what Nehemiah is doing here? Recognizing the equality, the dignity, the value of his brothers and sisters who were former slaves, and yet now dine as equal brothers and sisters, he says, at my table. When Nehemiah welcomed them to his table, he has the humility to acknowledge them, poor, destitute, lowly, feeble as they are, as brothers and sisters. and welcoming them to his table night after night after night. He humbled himself. And isn't this one of the most scandalous things that Jesus did in his ministry? Over and over again in the Gospels, we find the Pharisees and the scribes gasping with disbelief. Why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? He was humbling himself. he was stooping to sharing his table with tax collectors and sinners willing to call tax collectors like you and sinners like me. Brother. Sister. But we can't join his table until we're willing to admit the truth about ourselves. That Jesus had to humble himself to come down to our level. There is nothing that we can do to deserve to dine at His table. We don't deserve for Him to call us brother. We don't deserve to be able to call Him friend. We are the tax collectors of the world. We are the sinners. We are those who are lost among the nations, who have to be bought out of slavery. And for some reason, by the humble generosity of our Savior, are welcome to sit down at His table. We needed him to humble himself in order for us to find welcome. And he has. So, Nehemiah chapter 5 asks us Will you not come to him who has humbled himself? Finally, number four Nehemiah shows us that he became obedient to the point of death. Listen to verse 18. Now, what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds and every ten days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people. Nehemiah says, I gave. I gave out of my own life savings. I gave out of my own storehouses. Can you imagine for a second what his dining room must have looked like? 150 day laborers come tramping through his living room with their mud caked on their feet, their dirty clothes sitting on his, uh, on his, at his table in his chairs. He's feeding these hot, sweaty, dusty men. And don't forget that Nehemiah's been out there laboring with them all day, and yet he comes and he welcomes them, and there he is. He's got the towel around his waist, and now he's serving these men. Around his table, serving them out of his own supply, he says. An ox, six sheep, all kinds of turkeys and chickens and wine every night for 12 years. He gave. He gave, he gave, he gave, and then he gave some more every day, every night. He says, I gave my life down to the last drop. What makes the difference between the former governors and Nehemiah? Well, we heard the shift in verse 15. He says, But I did not do so because of the fear of God. And it returns, we're reminded here in the last verse 19 Remember for my good, O my God, all that I have done for this people. Nehemiah fears God. That's how he's able to lay down his life for the people. And we're able to join Nehemiah in rebuilding the city of God only when we are able to entrust our whole lives to the Lord. Jesus says, I gave my food, I gave my time, I gave my energy, I gave my words, and if that wasn't enough, I gave my dignity, I gave my comfort, I gave my body, I gave my blood, I gave my life. I was obedient to the point of death. Jesus came and He gave and He gave and He gave and when there was nothing left to give, He gave His life to ransom sinners like us. God sent His Son down from heaven with one task, to empty Himself, to take the form of a servant, to humble Himself, To become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Can you and I entrust our life to that kind of God? Can you trust Jesus enough to let go of whatever little kingdom you're trying to build? Let go of your oxen, your sheep, your chickens, your wine your status and simply say, remember me, oh God, for good. You see, Jesus sets us free to be like Nehemiah. And here's the thing, when we become like Nehemiah, guess what? We become more and more like Jesus. Who's going to be able to say, I emptied myself. I wasn't there to be in charge. I wasn't there to build my own little kingdom. I set aside my preferences, my personal tastes, my likes, my dislikes, my desires, my wants. I emptied myself. Who will be able to say, I took the form of a servant? I labored, I worked my hands to the bone for that church, for the people of God. Who will be able to say, I humbled myself? I was willing to share my table with any and everyone, the poor, the destitute, sinners, and tax collectors who are just like me. I welcomed others into the people of God as brothers and sisters. Why? Because Jesus Christ has welcomed me to His table. Who will be able to say, I became obedient to the point of death. I gave, and I gave, and I gave. It was nothing for me to sacrifice Everything, because I believed in the city that we were building together. God has given me all these resources. I don't care what it is. My home, my car, my money, my house, my time, my family, my table to build His new Jerusalem. And I gave and I gave and I gave. Why? Because Jesus Christ has given everything to have me. There are many people who sit in church week in and week out, receive good teaching, enjoy free childcare, hear solid preaching, and never give anything. They take, they take, they take. Is the new city worth it? Is the building project worth it to you? Can you entrust your life to the Lord? And like Nehemiah, give an extravagant cost to yourself. Will you and I walk in the fear of the Lord? Will we trust that if we give everything for his name's sake, that he will remember us for good? Our Lord Jesus says, I emptied myself, I took the form of a servant, I humbled myself, I became obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. What say you? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the man. You are the man who comes seeking the good of the city, seeking our good. Lord Jesus, we cannot even fathom what it means that you have stooped to be our servant, that you emptied yourself, that you humbled yourself, to give up your very life so that we might live. Lord Jesus, if there's anyone here who does not believe, may they turn from their former gods, their former governors, their idols and their sins and come to you and find a governor who lifts our heavy burdens of guilt and shame, who gives and who sets us free. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.